Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. I made this statement one other time, but I, have, I think it every Sunday. Every time I get up here to preach, I feel like because of this music ministry and their level of excellence, every Sunday I feel like a quarterback put in in the fourth quarter with a 27-3 lead. <laughs> Doc, we got this, just don't blow it. We have worshipped already. Across this month and last, we have been looking at the stories and themes through 1 Samuel. It's the story, the history of Israel moving from a loose configuration of tribes to a a throne, a kingship, and at the end, David is on the throne, and we've been catching those stories in their context. This series ends uh, next Sunday, but this week... We're in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and I'm reading the first 10 verses. Saul spoke with his son Jonathan and with all his servants about killing David. But Saul's son Jonathan took great delight in David. Jonathan told David, My father Saul is trying to kill you, therefore be on guard tomorrow morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. If I learn anything, I will tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul, saying to him, The king should not sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have been of good service to you. For he took his life in his hand when he attacked the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against an innocent person by killing David without cause? Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and related all these things to him. Jonathan then brought David to Saul as he was in his presence as before. Again there was war. And David went out to fight the Philistines. He launched a heavy attack on them so that they fled before him. Then an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing music. Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. The giant Goliath went into the valley of Elah with helmet and sword. That was last week's story, you remember? Last week's story from 1 Samuel, and the young David met him in the valley with a slingshot. And as I quoted at the end of last week's sermon from the children's program, 
It said that the giant was six cubits in a span tall, and David hit him right in the span. The young David, who was just bringing lunch to his older brothers on the battlefield, ended up killing the giant, sending the Philistine army running away because their fiercest warrior was dead. So, now with nobody on the opposite ridge, the Israelite army, of course, is headed back home too. And just imagine the welcome home. Ticker tape parade, front page above the fold. Everybody is telling this story about David and Goliath. Certainly, the story's probably grown bigger as people tell it. Mom, I bet that giant was 12 feet tall. But in all the buzz, it's clear who is the new hero of Israel. Ruddy, handsome, a skilled musician, and now a battlefield hero. David was popular and loved. The scripture uses that word a lot here, loved. He was loved by Jonathan, the the king's son. They had a deep friendship. He was loved by Michal, the king's daughter. The scripture says that he was loved by all of Israel. That's a lot of love. It's a lot of love. Only the scripture might have overreached a bit. David was not loved by all of Israel anymore because the king wanted him dead. David is popular and beloved, and therefore he is a threat to King Saul. He has this great public appeal, and even the kids' own kids seem to admire David more than they admire their own dad. And so we've come to the point in the story where Saul starts to unravel. Saul's jealousy is the beginning of his undoing. David has done nothing to incite Saul's hatred. David plays his harp for the king anytime he's asked. David has just delivered another great military victory for his king. David is a loyal subject of the crown. And he should have been counted among Saul's many blessings. But Saul was so gripped by this green envy and jealousy that it ultimately destroys him. And there's this great scene of irony because David is playing the harp to soothe the inflamed king. But the one who's playing the soothing music is the one who gets Saul's dander up more than anybody else. Remember, Saul doesn't know about the anointing. He just sees David as some ambitious young kid, not as destined. As far as Saul's concerned, David is a threat. This handsome, courageous, talented hero of the people. And finally, Saul snaps. And reading again, Then an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house With his spear in his hand, while David was playing music, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. Saul was jealous, and his envy just became all-consuming. And his reaction... Chasing David around with a spear is a little extreme, of course. 
But the feeling of comparing and wanting is surely not foreign to anybody in here. We all get jealous of somebody sometimes. Robert Browning describes envy as the distance between one's reach and one's grasp. Comparing and wanting what others have. I've pretty much had to stop looking at People magazine. All those fit, beautiful people on yachts, it'll just mess you up if you look at it too much. The green monster can sneak up on any of us at any time. All right, Bill, I was jealous this week of you. Valentine banquet this week, Bill's singing show tunes at the senior adult Valentine banquet. I'm sitting back thinking, boy, I wish I could sing. I'm just so jealous. John Claypool calls envy the sidelong glance. He was preaching a sermon about the parable of the workers who were paid, who worked all day and were paid a full day's wage. And they were fine with it. They had worked all day. They paid a full, they got paid a full day's wage. But then they looked sidelong And notice that some of the one-hour workers had been paid the same amount that they were, and it activated their envy. We're we're rocking along just fine until we happen to look sidelong and see what somebody else has that we wish we had. It happens all the time. This morning, I glanced sidelong and noticed that some of you are able to button your suit coat a whole lot easier than I am. If we're not careful, it could end up going toward jealousy. The the root of of, uh, Dr. Claypool's observation might have come from one of Aesop's famous fables, Fable 133. This is how it goes. A dog is carrying a stolen piece of meat in his jaws And he's walking along a stream. And he looks over and he sees his own reflection in the water. And it looks to him like another dog carrying an even bigger piece of meat. So he opens his mouth to attack to gain the bigger piece of meat. In so doing, he drops his into the stream. It's a sidelong glance. The comedian Chris Rock says that he's envious of singers too. He said, jokes rot. They're not like songs. I always envy singers. Sting is always going to sing Roxanne. But people want to hear new jokes. I've written jokes as good as Roxanne, I believe, but I can't tell them again. We all have this little strain of jealousy And and no form of envy is healthy. Envy always involves some self-doubt, some comparison that can lead to self-loathing. I love this line. Anne Lamott said, Why am I always comparing my messed up insides to other people's blown dry outsides? But there is a long distance from just being passively jealous of some guy's full head of hair 
And this abiding jealousy that starts to occupy our minds and challenge our peace. The envy that festers and starts to move to some form of self-doubt. And Saul has become obsessed with David's popularity. Saul is the king. He's the one everyone's supposed to adore. And now there's this handsome, popular warrior getting more attention than Saul, and he can't let it go. And self-doubt can metastasize into self-despising. And you're certain it has reached a pitiful place when you start hoping bad things for other people so that you'll feel better about yourself. St. Thomas Aquinas, the priest of the 14th century, said, Envy is sorrow or sadness over somebody else's good. King King Saul's own son, Jonathan, tried to intervene and tried to reframe the king's jealousy of David. Jonathan says to his dad, the king should not sin against his servant David. He hasn't sinned against you. And because his deeds have been of good service to you. For he took his life in his hand when he attacked the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against an innocent person by killing David without cause? You see, he's telling him, Dad, David's success was your success. What he did killing Goliath was a victory for Israel. And you're the king of Israel. This is good for you. He tried to reframe it. But Saul couldn't turn loose of this envy. All right, it's award season in Hollywood. Who knows what got the best picture of 1984? Anybody? The best picture Oscar 1984 went to Amadeus. Historical fiction, but it tells the story of Antonio Salieri, 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 famous composer, educated in Vienna. He becomes the court composer to Emperor Joseph II. Salieri is enormously gifted. He's celebrated. He performs to great crowds throughout Europe. But then when he hears the music of his contemporary, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he spends the whole rest of his life comparing, envying, plotting. He needs to destroy Mozart. He has this considerable talent, but he can't celebrate it because it fades in comparison to the genius of Mozart, and it leads to self-contempt. So at the end of the movie, hope I don't spoil it for you, last scene, Salieri is in a sanatorium being pushed in a wheelchair, and he declares himself the patron saint of of mediocrities. To see yourself as the patron saint of mediocrity is not to see yourself as God sees you. 
You are in here drawing breath because God wanted you to be here. In every category of comparison, you fall somewhere in the middle, but you are God's delight. If you're at all in touch with how much you love your child, your niece, your nephew, and how you see him or her as a unique delight, a gift, and a beauty, then you have some fractional understanding of how God sees you. Your son, daughter, niece, nephew is every square inch special and beautiful and one of a kind. And that's how God sees. Besides, have you ever considered that in every category of envy, you are actually somewhere in the middle? Some people are more musically talented than you are, but not all. Some people make more money than you make, but you make more money than most people in the world. Some people have better hair. Some are more artistic. Some people are really smart at algebra. You are taller than some people. You're shorter than others. Unless you're the CEO of your company, you're not as far along as, the, uh, as some others in your company. But if you are the CEO of your company, you're lagging behind the CEOs of larger companies. How exhausting is that? Right? Spending time thinking about whether I'm faster than he is or her eyebrows are better looking than mine. Always looking sidelong to see what somebody else got paid or what car she drives. Unless you are the fastest man alive or the tallest woman in the world, or hold some other bizarre distinction, then in every category of comparison, you and I fall somewhere in the middle. Not the best or worst tennis player on the planet. I don't have the biggest or the smallest nose. And in our unique and uneven beauty, God finds delight. The only cure for envy is belovedness. Once we can see that we're all just in the middle somewhere in every category, but that we are the crown jewel of God's creation, made in God's very image and loved. Seeing ourselves as God's delight is the only cure for the sidelong glance. What if Saul had seen himself differently? What if instead he'd said, I've been successful in war. David's been more successful in war. I my thousands, David his tens of thousands. Good for him, good for Israel. I'm God's chosen one. I find delight in me, and I find my peace in God. My worth is not tied to anybody else's success or failure. I am certainly not the patron saint of mediocrity. I was God's decision. I'm good at some things. 
I'm not so good at other things. Pretty much just like everybody else. But I am the uniquely loved, one-of-a-kind, favored child of God. God saw fit to create me and include me in this great story. What if? If you look sidelong in this room, you'll see that there are people here who are more successful than you are. There are people in here more talented, more attractive, more popular, more fit, and it'll wear you out. But rather than looking sidelong, If instead you look up and see into the face of God, you will see a giddy parent who is looking down and saying, you are my one-of-a-kind delight, and I am so glad I created you. If you have never experienced God love before, that kind of delight that the creator of all creation made you special and for a purpose, if you have never understood what it meant that God saves and restores, then that invitation is always open. God so loved the world, and God so loved your unique life that God sent Jesus to redeem And to model for us what abundant life looks like. And if you have not ever personally experienced that kind of God love and want to know more about it, I would welcome the chance to talk to you about it. But you may already be a Christ follower and just feel like today might be the day to throw your life in here with us and we would love to be church with you. Let me go ahead and tell you ahead of time, some of us are taller than you and some of us are shorter. But your unique life fits right here with ours. And we would love to have you come and serve the cause of Christ beside us and with us. So how will you respond to your unique yes to God's call? Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.